Hello and welcome to the Unorganized and Lost podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, and I'm here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Today on the podcast, I have international best-selling author, Candy, on the podcast, and I am so excited. Welcome, Candy. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so stoked of to be course. here. I am so excited to dive into everything about you and about your books and all the things. So I just recently read one of your books on vacation. And um, so they're, they have a little bit of naughty to them. And I was reading them <laughs> on a family vacation going, hmm, I should probably put this away for a little bit. This is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just skip past this scene here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just put this, put the book away for a little bit. It got, it got a little, got a little naughty. Um, but That's anyways, so your writing is incredible and it is so fun to read. And, um, so let's dive into, did you always want to be a writer? Did you always want to be an author? Well, thank you. First of all, that's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I definitely, I feel like I have always wanted to be a writer. The first time I remember it was in third grade. That's really when I started reading a lot. And I, weirdly enough, started by writing poetry about boys. So not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I still write poetry and love poetry. But as I grow, as I grew older, I really started gravitating toward literature and writing novels. Um, and I remember telling my mom, like, I'm going to be the next JK Rowling. And then when I went to college, I ended up studying nonfiction, which is crazy. If you think about the fact that I'm known for writing romance, nonfiction is completely different. I was <laughs> certainly focused on writing like very serious, very moving, powerful, emotional things um, that were true about my past or my family. And so when I graduated, though, there was this really big surge of romance. The Fifty Shades of Grey was definitely what started it. And I did read that series and enjoyed it. But then I got turned on to indie romance. So there was this community of writers who were saying, I'm not going to go through the process of querying an agent. I'm just going to write what I want to write and not pay attention to anybody who says they don't think it's going to sell and I'm going to publish it myself. And it was booming. So I read a few independent romances that I loved and it just sparked an idea for me. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to give this a try for fun a new year's resolution. I'll write a book and publish it by my 24th birthday. And I did. And I thought that it was going to be a one and done, but it was, it was like, once I got that one story out of me, I was like, Oh, I actually have a hundred more to tell. And I've always been a hopeless romantic. So why did I ever think nonfiction was writing for me? Like I'm totally staying here. And now, you know, here I am <laughs> 10 years later. That's so incredible. So how many books have you written and published? I actually just published my 30th novel. Fair Catch was number 30. That's incredible. So Fair Catch <laughs> just came out, I think a week ago, right? A week and a half ago? Yes, yes. Um, so it's it's a brand new baby out in the world. And um, it was my first time writing a college football romance. And anybody who knows me and follows me online knows that I love football. And so it was really like a marriage of two of my favorite things. Writing college-aged is definitely something I love to do. And then writing football. And I just smushed them together and made all my happy dreams come true. <laughs> I'm so excited. Why don't you explain, just give a little teaser of the book. So just in case anyone listening wants to pick it up they know what it's a little bit about okay so this is the blurb that I wrote for it, and I feel like it does a really great job of explaining it so perfect as if things 
As if things aren't already tough enough as the only girl on a college football team, coach had to go and assign Zeke Collins as my roommate. A cocky kick returner and my brother's best friend who should have been ripped of that title years ago, he's as infuriating as he is undeniably sexy. I hate him, and for good reason, reason I won't ever let him forget. The pressure of being the only girl on the team doesn't get to me. The scrutiny, I'm ready for. But sharing very thin walls with Zeke Collins, I wasn't prepared for that. And the more we're forced together, the harder it is to distinguish that thin line between hating him and wanting him. So that's oh, fair catch. so good. <laughs> Thank I'm you. so excited. I'm, I've been trying to tell myself I'm not allowed to buy a new book until I finish one. And so I haven't bought it yet, but um, I'm very excited. I think excited. that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying because I am not much of a reader. I will admit it. And so for me, buying books and not reading them is so insane because <laughs> it's like most people that do that is because they love reading and they're going to read it eventually. Me, I'm like, I might not ever read it. <laughs> You're like, so this is pretty for my bookshelf, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so what's funny is I actually bought um, your book, The Wrong Game. Okay, so backtrack a little bit. I kind of know you through um, a mutual friend, Lauren Johnson. Yes. Who I actually just had on the podcast. And I listened and I love her. I'm just obsessed with everything that she is. (laughs) I know. (laughs) She's so great. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you liked it. Um, And so anyways, I... I remember saying like, I was going to read one of your books. And cause this was years ago that we first kind of got in contact and I was like, I'm going to read one of your books. I'm so excited. And then of course I, I was, I'm not a reader, so I didn't because I'm not a reader. <laughs> and so I was actually on TikTok, and one of your videos came up on my for you page and yes. it was about the wrong game. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. And then I saw your name and I went, wait a second, that's candy. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, now I'm really going to buy the book. And so I bought the book literally last year and like, I don't know, before October. And I brought the book with me to Hawaii, never read it. I literally, it's just like following me around. And finally I started, um, 75 miles as I called it. It's which a made up thing that I did instead of 75 hard. Cause that wasn't going to happen. I don't know if you've heard of that 75 hard, but I have, I, there yes. was no, no shot. I was doing that. And so I did 75 miles as I called it. And one of them was reading 10 minutes a day. So yes. I had finished my other book and I started reading yours and very quickly I was reading way more than 10 minutes a day because of how much I love this book. Oh, and what a compliment. That's the best feeling when you like, don't want to put it down. Yes. And for being a non-reader, it makes it even better because then it actually makes you want to finish the book. So I finally finished the wrong game, which I was like happy slash sad because I'm like, this is so good. And so the next I'm on wait list. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. So I just started pick. that one. Yeah. So you'll we'll get see to see a big, goes. you'll get to see a big shift in my writing because waitlist was my first bestseller. And I love waitlist. It is one of my favorite book babies and it definitely changed my life. Um, but you can, you can tell that I, as with anything, right. I've grown as a writer, I've grown as a businesswoman since publishing waitlist. So I'm curious to see how you feel when you read it, if you can kind of see the difference. Oh, perfect. Now I'm really excited to dive <laughs> into it. Um, so for you, it's so interesting as I was reading the wrong game is all I could think about was like, how is she, I think because it was cool, the fact that I kind of knew of you and we kind of had communicated before, all I could think about is like, she's putting this into paper on her, like on her own, where is she coming up with this stuff? And I feel like it's so authentic (laughs) to certain places too, because I know you don't live in the location that you set the book and all these things. So what is your creative process and how much research do you do when going and diving into a, 
book and story like this? There's so much research. It's a ton of research. And that has come again with learning to be a better writer and a more dedicated writer to the craft, especially when I was younger and I was writing, I just sort of wrote where I lived or what I knew because it was easy and comfortable. And then I started realizing that that doesn't really challenge me and it doesn't push me to write uh, better, you know? So I, I definitely try to visit wherever I'm writing or basing a story if I can. I get a lot of inspiration that you can't normally get if you're just searching online because you don't know it exists. You don't know even what to search for. So yeah. you can do research, you know, Googling, but it's going to be completely different than if you go walk the streets of Florence in Italy because it, you don't even know what you're going to run into to know what to search. So well, like you can't I, search smell and like taste and feel yes. and authenticness of people and like vibe Absolutely. of people. Yeah. And every, awesome. every, every place has a heartbeat, right? Like every place feels different. If you've been to Tampa, Florida, it feels different than San Diego, California. If you, you know, it's just, there's... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so if you're writing as a, as someone who's only ever been in one place, you can do it. Absolutely. You can research, but then you, you kind of run into this possibility that you might be writing stereotypically because you're, you're writing off of what you think, you know, about California, for instance, or what yeah. you think, you know, about people who live in San Diego versus really getting in there and seeing it for yourself. So I'm definitely an avid, uh, you know, proponent of traveling and talking to strangers, sitting at a bar and asking the bartender, what people are like listening to people who are at the bar by themselves. And one of my favorite questions to ask people, whether I'm meeting them for the first time or I've known them forever is tell me about a time you got your heart broken. And, you know, you can oh always kind of see this. Yes. You can always see this kind of look on their face. And usually strangers are like so forthcoming with it. They, they know they're never going to see me again. They think it's really cool that I'm a writer. And so they're like, Oh, let me tell you about this girl or this guy or whatever. Um, That's and sometimes, so cool. yeah. And so, you know, there's been times for instance, and in say, yes, um, which is my book release from last summer, uh, Liam, the hero, he had a really tragic thing happen to him where his, um, he was on his bachelor party and in the limo ride home, they got into a car accident and he was like the only one to survive. So like his best <gasps> friend, his brothers, his father, his father-in-law, like everybody passed away. And this was based oh on a true God. story. Yes. And this is based on a true story that someone told me. And so when you can really hear a, a true human's pain and things that they've gone through, in my opinion, that can be so much more powerful than just trying to imagine it. And it pulls real emotions, which anyone who's read my books knows like, yes, I write romance. I love to write angsty tension and sexy scenes and all of that. But I also love to pull at your heartstrings and make you curious about the human experience and what makes us tick and what makes us villains in someone's story versus heroes and ours and just sort of how love can be really difficult for us to find because we're all a little messed up and so um yeah it's 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 definitely a, a huge part of my process is just getting out into the world and talking to people and seeing new places that's so cool what's so crazy <laughs> is lauren actually just posted today about heroes and villains and um that was her like midweek mindset so it's like so funny that I feel like it came full circle today but yes uh, she talked about like one of the things she said was okay let's look at a hero and looks like at a villain and what the 
there's so much more in common. So the only difference is how they respond to the pain they're feeling. So today's message is that it's not what happens to you, but how you choose to respond that matters. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, this is so, so full circle today. Absolutely. And I, I will say like, it's one of my favorite things is to redeem a villain. I have a, a college series called Palm South University. And in the first three books of that series, you meet this character, Aaron, and you love her and you fall for her. But then in books four and five, she is the villain because of what has happened to her. She just does not know how to handle it properly. And she's young. She's in college. She's acting sort of irrationally and she's taking down everybody she loves in the process. And then in the sixth and seventh books, you really see her find redemption and turn everything around. And it was, it's so challenging to write characters like that. But in my opinion, we have all been the villain to somebody, to a friend, to a significant other. We, there's somebody that we've hurt that we've not meant to hurt because we were dealing with our own things, but that's just how we work as humans. It's never, well, I shouldn't say never. It's almost never intentionally that we hurt people. It's just that we are hurting and we don't know how to process. Absolutely. That's, that's so fascinating. And I love how much depth that you put into all of it. Um, I know the, I kind of want to circle back to when you said that you love to ask strangers, um, when like a story of their heartbreak, cause I actually did a podcast episode last week, or I guess when this comes out, it'll be like two weeks ago, but basically talking about how we need to change small talk because yes, I listened to that one too. I love that. The little, the little 10 minute one. Oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was, I think that kind of ties into it. Like, even though it seems like asking someone when their heartbreak was, that almost seems less invasive than some of like the simple questions that we ask someone every day, like, when are you going to get a new job or when are you going to start dating or when are you going to get married? You know what I mean? Like things that like are almost out of your control instead of actually getting to know someone. I think it's fascinating that, um, you ask people that and I kind of love that they share that with you. I do. And I also, so one of my favorite things to ask people when I meet them, um, if I'm being introduced to someone like one of my fiance's friends or, um, you know, somebody at a work function, whatever the case may be. I just hate that when we're out and we're having dinner or you're meeting someone, the first thing usually that you ask is like, oh, so like, what do you do? Right. And it it has always driven me insane because I just feel like I, I love what I do. I being a writer, huge part of who I am, but I have so many friends who are like marketing people and that doesn't define who they are. That's just what they do to make ends meet. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's so completely different. So um, if you if you read my book on the way to you, uh, I put this little quirk of mine into the main character. uh, And it is his name is Emery. And instead of asking people like what they do, the first thing he asks people when he meets them is what makes you happy. And so when he asks, when he asks the hero in this, she's kind of, you know, she struggles to answer because she's she's got all these things in mind that make her happy, but it's like that moment that she realizes her happiness is sort of stunted and um, she doesn't really know for sure. Like she does all the things that, that she thinks should make her happy, but do they really, if that makes sense? So yeah, absolutely. anyway, but I no, love I like that, that and a lot. I, I love that when I, when I meet people, I'm just like, so what do you like, what makes you happy? What, when you're, when you're happy, what are you doing? And you can just see this look on their face that they're like, Oh, how refreshing that I don't have to talk to you about my boring accounting job. Like I can tell right? you about or the, like, the video how are games you? I love and no play. one actually yeah. wants the answer from that. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. Do you want to really hear how my week's going? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I'm just going to go with good because if I'm honest, you're just going to walk away anyways. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Okay. So what were you doing prior to becoming a full-time author and what was that transition transition like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I talked a little bit about it that I did major in creative writing in college, but I double majored my other major being advertising and public relations. So mostly because being honest, I never expected to make money off of writing. I knew I loved to do it, but I was like, you know, so few people actually make a living out of what they love to do. So I got this second major thinking I could sort of take some of that creativity that I have and apply it to an actual business. Um, And so when I graduated, I got a job working at the corporate office for public supermarkets, which is huge down here in the Southeast. Um, if you live in Florida or Georgia or Tennessee, any of those, like you're definitely going to know what Publix is. And I had worked there since I was a high schooler and, uh, it just felt like a natural transition for me. I knew the company, I knew the culture. I could definitely step into the social media role and this I'm dating myself, I guess, but this was back in 2012. So a lot of companies were not, they didn't know how to do social media. They were not even on it yet. And so I was a part of the team that launched uh, the first Twitter account for Publix, the first Instagram account for Publix, the first blog, Pinterest, all of that. And it was, I mean, we had to go to top, top notch executives to get things cleared. Like, can we tweet this and stuff? And it was, was, it was a very, very cool experience. And I love, I love Publix. I really enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed who I worked with. Um, but I was always writing on the side of that. So, you know, I would work 45 hours a week And, you know, any given day I'm driving into the office in Lakeland, I'm working a full day, I'm going to the gym, I'm coming home, making dinner. And then I would just want to be locked in my office, which was a guest room at the time, or my (laughs) kitchen table and writing because I loved it so much and I wanted to write. Um, And uh, it wasn't until my weightless was my fifth book that I actually made any substantial sort of money weightless Mm -hmm. hit the Amazon's top 100. It was completely unexpected. It flipped my world upside down. And, you know, all of a sudden I went from making like maybe a couple hundred dollars in a month from my first four books combined to making more money than I had seen in my entire lifetime in a couple months. And so it was very incredible. Like it yes, literally gave me was, Yeah, same. I just remember like, I remember looking and thinking like Amazon's going to call me any day now and say, this is, oh, we made a mistake. You're not actually getting this amount of money. Don't expect it. Um, but I remember when I got the first check and like I went to the grocery store and I bought things without coupons and without like checking the price. I just like bought what I wanted for dinner and like, I, I'll never forget that. I just like went to the checkout and was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to like, this is what, what just happened? Um, I can buy whatever I want. I can buy the organic strawberries. Yeah, exactly. Hell yeah, exactly. The green wise chicken. Um, so that's so cool. Yeah. And, but I still was scared again. I was like, there's no way this is going to last. And so it great. I had a one hit wonder how amazing for that. I'm going to save all this money and sit on my little egg and never let anybody come near it because you know, it's going to disappear. Um, and then I published a level art of whiskey three months after waitlist. And it also hit Amazon's top 100. And I had this kind of stirring in my gut, like, man, 
if I could only dedicate more time to writing and to social media for my writing, as opposed to for my job, I just, I wonder what it could be like, because all of my energy, all my creative output is being sourced for publics and not for me. And I only have the scraps of whatever I have left at the end of each day, which for any of us is not much, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so uh, about five months later, I published this book called Revelry. And when it hit, it also hit Amazon's top 100 and all of my income had stayed consistent. And I just had this mindset of like, okay, I have a choice to make. I can either stay at Publix and stay safe and have like my benefits and have my guaranteed job security and keep giving the scraps of what's left to me to my passion. Or I can take this full leap go into it full time, knowing that yes, it could end at any minute. I could do it for a year and then have to go get a job or three years or five years or whatever the case may be. Um, but to me, it was totally worth that risk to possibly fall flat on my face or have to learn a really difficult lesson by, you know, making money with my passion and then not, um, and having to go back to work than it would be for me to have stayed at Publix and watch that dream slip out of my fingers because I was too scared to go for it. That is so cool. I'm like, be I'm like grinning ear to ear. This is so <laughs> fascinating. I love Thank that you. that one you kept persisting without any worries about it, and then the fact that you once you hit it, it's like okay, we got to make this decision. Was it terrifying putting in your two weeks notice? It was. I had the worst panic attack of my entire life. I had never had a panic attack before, but I remember I was at a conference, a book conference in Atlanta, rooming with two other authors. And at 3 a.m., I still could not sleep. And I was just thinking about like how much money I had in savings, how long I could live off of the paycheck I had coming from the book I had just published. And I got up and like started doing my taxes and started budgeting and started like writing out this whole spreadsheet. And my friend Stacy wakes up and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, just having a panic attack is totally fine. Like, I'm just gonna <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind me. And she had to kind of stop me. And like, I, I still remember, I can remember like how the only light in the whole hotel room was like coming from my laptop screen when she just like grabbed my arms and her hands and like looked me in the eye and was like, you are going to be okay. This is all going to be fine. You have enough money. You are not going to be homeless. You know, like all these things, because it was just, I needed, I needed somebody else to say, you're going to be okay. Um, and she understood that, but I mean, I came, I grew up in a very, you know, poor situation with my family. And I, so I knew, I, I really understand the value of a dollar. And when I was seeing money, like I'd never seen before, my instant reaction was just that it can't be real. It's not going to last. And there's no way that this is something that I can actually hold on to. Um, yeah. I was very used to living like paycheck to paycheck, scraping by like three days before I get paid. I'm not doing anything. I'm not eating at work. I'm not like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was very different and it was very, very terrifying. And then on top of all of this, so in between waitlist, which is my first bestseller, right. And revelry, when I left my job at Publix and began working full time, uh, during that time, I was also going through a divorce. And so when you are, you know, you're making this huge change for your career, that's exciting, but you're also going through this devastating personal situation. It was very tumultuous and messy and terrifying and just one of the hardest, you know, periods of my life, but also 
one of the biggest lessons that I've ever learned and, and definitely one of the most life-changing eras in my life. And I wouldn't change anything about it, even though it was so difficult. That's, that's incredible. I, I mean, it's one of those things that happens in life. It's like sometimes when you, they always say when it rains, it pours, but that's so different because it's such a high and such a low all at once that it's just like a mind game of trying to navigate each day. (laughs) It was really crazy. It was also, you know, having that confidence for my books because a big part of why I was getting divorced was that my husband at that time, he just did not support or understand my fascination with writing. And he didn't, understand why I ever thought it was going to be something that I could, you know, do as a career. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when you have someone in your ear who you love and who you care about and who you trust constantly saying that to you, then you start to feel it too. Like, what am I doing? I'm being crazy. I'm being like reckless. I can't, you know, I'm never going to be a writer. No one's ever going to take me seriously as a writer. And then, you know, so it's, it's shaking all of that off and, and finding the confidence to just go for it. On top of the fact that, Michelle, I know you probably feel the same way, but as you're growing up, everybody's in your ear, your parents, society, friends, everyone's like, you got to go to college, then you got to get the job, then you got to stay at your job and be loyal and, you know, work your way up and whatever, whatever. At least that's what I grew up hearing. Oh, absolutely. And all about safety, all about security, plan for your retirement, all these things. And so here I was taking a completely different path that I, I do feel like now is more acceptable. I, I feel like in the last 10 years, entrepreneurship has certainly gained a lot of steam and there's a lot of people taking that risk, which I think is important. Doesn't yeah. mean it's any less scary. Doesn't mean that it doesn't you know give you a panic attack at 3 a.m. because anything that's worth something is going to be scary. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember getting out of college and every single person asking, okay, now what are you going to do? And you're like, yeah, I I don't know. I was just happy. I made it and graduated. Like, can we just praise that for a little longer? (laughs) I was just doing keg stands at a frat party last week. And now you want me to be a professional. I'm sorry. I I need to. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the hardest thing was, is that I was convinced, well, I wasn't convinced. I was told I was going to be getting a full-time job with the company I was at at the time. And so I didn't really look for jobs all summer. So I just kind of enjoyed my summer. I was still working there part-time. They told me that probably September or October, maybe even August, I'd be getting this full-time job. All of a sudden they're like, yeah, so it's still not happening. And I'm like, wait, what? And so I'm living off no money at all because I was, you know, in college working part-time for this company and they, I wasn't being paid well. I mean, I was, again, I was only part-time anyways. So it's like, okay, I need to find a real job. So I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Cause I was a marketing major. I'm like, the problem with marketing is that there's so many different types of marketing. And yes. that is such a broad, broad statement that you could, it does. I have, didn't even know what that meant. And so I'm like, how do you find a marketing job? Cause it's not like your job title is marketer. Right. Exactly. So it's like, what are you talking about? And so then I'm in this panic mode of trying to find a job. And I got to the point where I was like, look, I'm going to have to get a job as a bartender, which again, that's not a bad job, but if I'm going to have to do something that is that basic and that, um, I could do it anywhere, I might as well do it somewhere else. And so I, um, later in the year decided that I was going to travel abroad and get I was going to go to Thailand and then do Australia for (gasps) however long I could and get a work visa and then work there I never end up getting a job and I just traveled for four and a half months and got really broke (laughs) but I had a blast (laughs) yes love it 
Yeah. So I, I totally it. understand um, that game of being like, I don't, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. And I mean, like, you know, I growing up in a family where like I had a single mom who was just struggling, like working multiple jobs to try to make ends meet. My brother was working as a high schooler and like giving mom money to help pay our bills and stuff. And so growing up in that, I just, you know, I, my mom was always pushing, like, you need to, you need to really think like, be good at school. And which I love school. That was like, easy for me. I loved it. And she was like, you have the ability to like do so much more with your life and, and not live in this sort of way that you've grown up. And she really, really pushed me. So I really had this love affair with safety and security and with following the plan. And I think that made it even more difficult for me to say, okay, I'm going to, I have this whole thing set up. If I stayed at Publix and just kept working, even if I didn't get a promotion, even if I just worked in the job that I have now for the rest of my life, I could retire a millionaire because of the benefits that Publix has and the free stock you get and all of that stuff. But I didn't want to live for retirement. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to retirement. I wanted to live my life and be happy now. Um, and that I think was, is a huge moment for any young adult, anybody coming out of college sort of confused and dazed like, what, what do I do now? And, and realizing that it's not all about, you know, what you do to make money. Yes, that's important. You got to pay your bills. You got to get by, but life is so much richer than that. And, and if you just get caught up in the rat race of paying your bills, you're going to miss out on everything that it's supposed to be about. Oh, that's so good. Um, I, I love everything about that. So have you, can you tell us of a time that you experienced failure or disappointment after you became a full-time writer and how like you dealt with that or responded to that? Like, was there a time that a book flopped that you didn't expect to or anything like that? Oh yeah. Many, <laughs> like I can, I can tell you many, many times. <laughs> um, I'll tell you the first, so I will say my trajectory was up. And what a great thing to be in, right? It was like my trajectory was up every time that I released a new book, it almost seemed to make more or go higher or at least make the same amount. And so my yearly income was going up, up, up. And with that, I got a little comfortable. I think that's normal. You're just kind of like, okay, well now I'm here. And now I just like, whenever I publish a book, great things are going to happen. Cool. Um, And I remember 2018 was a huge year for me. I released this duet what he doesn't know and what he always knew they blew up. That was like the first time I hit top 10 on Amazon. One of the very few times that I've hit that high. And so it was, I, it was just incredible. And then what happened was towards the end of 2018, there was this shift where a lot of indie authors were figuring out like Facebook ads. And mm-hmm. I had been very blessed that I'd never had to spend a dollar on ads up until this point, like not a dollar. I'd never had to run an ad. It was all like bloggers and word of mouth and everything. But what changed is that Facebook started saying like, now that we have your pages with all these likes and you've done all this work to curate this huge audience and you've built up your Instagram, we're actually going to make you pay to be able to engage with them. So oh, if I wasn't oh, it makes running- me so mad because I've had to deal with that before with Facebook. It's so insane that they can do that. It is the most infuriating thing. And with any social media, I tell everybody, don't get comfortable just because TikTok is blowing people up right now. You don't think that TikTok is eventually going to make you pay to reach people, then you're crazy. Like take advantage of it while you can, of course. But I've heard people that get up to like 2 million followers and then their, their TikTok just gets deleted. Yeah. So they have to start over from scratch. And Mm -hmm. it's like, holy what? 
I just, in my opinion, social media is amazing and definitely take advantage of it. Don't be slow to jump on it, get it while it's hot, but always, always, always put your focus on what you can control. So like for me, one of my biggest things that I put my focus on is my newsletter, because at the end of the day, I can always send a newsletter. I have access to 30,000 people that are actively subscribed that I can send a newsletter to. And even if all they see is that subject line, it'll tell them that I've got a new book out and that's what I want them to know. You know what I mean? Oh, that's Um, incredible. Whereas Instagram, I have 34,000 followers and on a daily basis, like a thousand engage with me, which is, but that's, ridiculous that makes zero sense but you know that's just the way it is so anyway so that's actually really good advice because I feel like I need to start even I mean for my business I need to start focusing on getting more subscribers and things like that with anything so it's that's an interesting concept for people yes yes absolutely anything you can control which you know is not much so (laughs) focus (laughs) on what you can focus on what you can um But anyway, so going into 2019, you know, there were a lot of new authors. I I feel like there's different eras of since I've started publishing and I can like name like the Kindle Unlimited era was when we like a bunch of people went to Kindle Unlimited and they blew up because it was this brand new hot thing and whatever. And then I can remember like Unlimited mean. Kindle Unlimited is like Netflix for books. So it's through Amazon. You pay $10 a month and you get access to any book that is enrolled in the Kindle Unlimited program. So as an indie author, you can really elevate your readership and find a lot of new readers because asking someone to pay $5 for an ebook or 16 to $20 for a paperback, that's a lot of money, but mm-hmm. saying, Hey, you already have this subscription and my book comes with it. That's free to them, you know, in their minds, because they already pay for that subscription regardless. So, um, it's been huge. It has completely changed when they read oh, the yes. book or how does that work? So I get paid for each page that is read. So when I upload my book, it'll say, okay, we've done the math. And your 300 page book amounts to like 172 Kindle pages read or whatever. Um, however many uh, swipes on the Kindle it is pretty much. Wild. And then you get, so it's you not get paid as they read. read. It's like page, dang. Per page read, yeah. Which is really great. And honestly, Wild. you know, yes, royalty wise, I would make more money off of someone who purchased my $5 book. However... I, if you have Kindle Unlimited, I much prefer you download it and read it in Kindle Unlimited because one, those pages are coming through and I'm getting money from that. Two, I can potentially earn a, a bonus on top of it. If I am one of the top read books that month, then Amazon will say, great job, kid. Here's an extra whatever. Um, wow. And three, borrows, like people who borrow a book in Kindle Unlimited and add it to their shelf with the intent to read, that counts towards rank more than if they just outright purchase it and rank is really important on Amazon because getting into that top 100 or even the top 100 of a specific subgenre gets you in front of so many eyes that you can't reach otherwise because so many people go shopping for books they just look at what's hot right now like oh like what's popular and let me just pick one of these bestsellers you know what I mean wild okay so we talked about this a little before we started um I heard I've heard before that there's a difference between um getting on like New York bestseller list or getting on those type of lists. And then can you explain like what being an indie writer is and like what all of that means? Yes, definitely. So, um, 
for a New York Times bestseller list or a USA Today or a Washington Post, any of that, um, you have to be what we call wide. So wide means your ebook and paperbacks are available everywhere. So, well, not even your paperbacks can be available everywhere regardless, but your ebook specifically has to be available everywhere. Meaning like Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, Google Play, Amazon, Kobo, like pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. If it's only on Amazon, which it has to be, if you're in the Kindle Unlimited program, you have to be exclusive to Amazon. That's how they, you know, sell the program. Um, oh. Then, then you can't, you don't qualify because New York Times and, you know, Washington Post and things of that nature, they've kind of like snubbed their nose at Amazon because they don't like that Amazon has essentially made a list. In my opinion, this is all my opinion, but I think because they don't like the fact that Amazon has become so powerful and that people are going to the Amazon top 100 for their book recommendations, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's always been the stream of like becoming a New York Times bestseller, but there are, I've had, you know, colleagues that have made lists like this, New York Times or USA Today, and made less than someone who sat in Amazon's top 20 for a couple of weeks. So what? it's not actually, you know, that they're selling more books or having more of their books read. It's just that New York Times says, well, by what we judge a good book by, or like a good sales quotient, you qualify and you fit here. And so now you get our fancy title. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, crazy. How was, yeah. how was that decision deciding to go not be wide and just do the um, Kindle Unlimited? It's different for everybody. I mean, I have, there are colleagues of mine that are super not in, like they hate Kindle Unlimited. They don't want to give all the power to Amazon. They don't want to have all their eggs in one basket. And I totally get that you can really get a lot of readers wide because you don't, you're not, um, you don't have to have anybody like download the Kindle app to their phone or to their smart tablet because they probably already have Apple books so they could just read Apple books. But then, um, you know, you can't get your books on Apple books. They're not going to be on Apple books. So you download the Kindle app though, and it reads the exact same way as you read in Apple books. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm just clarifying. I think a lot of people think they have to have a Kindle and certainly you can, but you don't have to, you can read it just like anywhere else you read your books. Got it. And then, so Kindle Unlimited, you know, you just, you basically take that part of it away. Um, but it's also easier in some aspects because you only have one place to upload your book as opposed to several, and you don't really have to manage all of that. Um, Typically, you're going to rank a little bit higher if you're in Kindle Unlimited and have a new release just because of the way Amazon's algorithm works, but you may, rank on Apple books and not be anywhere near ranking on Amazon. So it's really interesting and fascinating. And every author kind of has to make their choice for what they want. Obviously, if you want to hit New York times, if that's like your ultimate goal, then you're going to want to be wide and start building a wide audience so that you can eventually hit those. And like, it changes. I've had friends who've hit New York times, top 100 or whatever the bestseller list by selling 6,000 books. And I've had others that have sold 8,000 books. In a, and this is like with pre-orders within the first week. So mm-hmm. you can set up a pre-order and then New York Times will count whatever your pre-orders were and whatever you sold in that first week of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have somebody else who sells 8,000 and doesn't make it that week for whatever reason. It's like, th- there's no really rhyme or reason to it. So you, you just oh, never okay. know. Interesting. Yeah, you never know. I feel like so. that's, that's probably beneficial to people who like, people that are more famous who are only going to write one or two books. Like they're not an author. They just are writing about themselves. I feel like they would probably rather do something like that than 
Kindle Unlimited then, well, right? Oh, for sure. And I mean, and it's huge for like, I have a, I have so many colleagues who are independently published, publish their own books and they're wide and they have hit these lists and it is a feat. It is huge for them. They, and also, you know, they know that they have a wide reader base. So God forbid, if something happens and Amazon gets shut down, they're going to be completely fine because their readers are spread out. Whereas for oh, me, okay. if, Am if Amazon gets shut down or just decides one day, like, Hey, we're not going to let, you know, anybody publish a book anymore. We're taking your privilege away. It's kind of like the social media conversation we just had, right? Like Amazon yeah. holds a lot of power if you're doing Kindle unlimited. So you have to decide if you're okay with that, or if you kind of want to have a little more control by spreading out your eggs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So do you have a contract with them? Like excuse me so how does that work if for some reason you can you decide one day to just not be kindle unlimited anymore or how does that work like could you pull yeah. all your books from there you can absolutely pull your books from kindle unlimited at virtually any time you you enter into a 90-day contract at a time so like I'll, yeah and you can click the box what i do is i just click the box to auto renew me like i'm here to stay i want to be in kindle unlimited this is amazing please don't touch it um it. and then but there are other like there are a lot of wide authors that what they'll do is they'll take their books down um off of apple books and kobo and all of that for like 90 days and be like hey this book is in Kindle Unlimited for 90 days, only read it while you can, and then take it out of Kindle Unlimited. So they can kind of double dip and get the best of both worlds, which is really great. Oh, interesting. That's so yeah. crazy to think about. Cause I mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's when you're not in that field, it's more thinking about you're selling a book. Like it's not the digital side of it all and all the different games you have to play to get it where you need to go. Yeah. That's so cool. It's really it's definitely, it's a, a, a hot conversation and everybody sort of has to decide what, you know, what matter or what makes the most sense for them, especially goal-wise, right? You have to always come back to your goals and what, what you're doing it for and why you love it. For me, one of the biggest reasons why I love Kindle Unlimited is that I wish that something like this would have existed when I was younger. I loved to read. I, I, if I could have had the power to ask my mom for a $10 a month allowance and be able to read all the books I could read, like, oh, it just makes my heart flutter to think about it. But back then it was like paperbacks. That was the option. They were like 20 bucks a piece. And so I was lucky if I got a book three times a year, like a birthday, um, Christmas, you know, like maybe if we were out and about and my mom was like, oh yeah, you really want this book. We'll get you this book. So I just think like I, a lot of my readers have come to me and thanked me for having my books in Kindle Unlimited because their budget is restrictive as well. And how amazing that for $10 a month, you can get an unlimited library of stories to fill you. And especially when life is not feeling great and you want to sort of escape into fiction, it's just, I mean, I just feel like there's way more bang for your buck there. And I, I'm happy to be a part of it. That's incredible. I feel like my parents would probably have paid somebody if they like to yeah. dream that I would, that's what I would want is like just yeah. to read that much. My parents would be like, oh God, what a goal. <laughs> please, please give her books, please. Right. Oh, it's so like, funny. oh my God, ten, $10 a day or $10 a month. Yes. I don't even think I could finish that many books in a, like in that time period. <laughs> I know. Um, I did want to circle back to, to that, to the question that you had asked about just like something I had gone through since I broke out. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I mentioned like the Facebook advertising kind of changed the game. And so what happened was in 2019, um, 
I started releasing these books. It was four books in a series, the Becker Brothers series. And it was the first time that I realized I was going to have to teach myself ads because actually perfect example, the wrong game came out at the end of 2018. I didn't run any ads and it, I mean, it barely hit the top 100. It hit like 90 something and fell out like the next day never to return. And I was oh like, gosh. what is going on? I was terrified. I, I, at that point, like comparing to my past release days and release weeks, the wrong game was seriously underperforming, which again, another lesson learned there is that over time, the wrong game has become my number one bestseller ever. So it just goes to show Wild. that you can't, you can't, you can't just determine whatever a book is going to do by the first, you know, month that it's released. But it was really scary because in the past, that was sort of what I, had assumed like whatever my book does during release, that's the only attention I'm going to get. And so I've got to just milk it for what it is. Um, and it was really scary. And so in 2019, I was playing with ads. I was spending money, not knowing what I was doing. And I, I had not a great year financially. It was the first time that I was like, wow, I might have, I might actually have to get a job to supplement income. But instead of like taking that route, right. I was like, no, at the end of the day, I'm still making enough to pay my bills and, and be comfortable. And so I'm going to take all that energy that I would have to put into working a full-time job again into my business, into learning what I need to learn. I'm going to learn ads. I'm going to learn what people are looking for in the industry now, because obviously it's different from where I was five years ago. And that's okay. Industries change. You have to change with it. My, my friend Stacy Hart and I have this saying, adapt or die. It's like, that's all you can do as an entrepreneur, especially if you're in a competitive industry. You have to adapt. You can. You don't have time to sit there and bitch and be upset about what it used to be like and how easy it used to be and how you used to be top dog. You've got to adapt to whatever is happening now so that you can stay alive. And that's what I did. And then last such, year- Such good advice. Because I feel like yeah. it's so- And it's so scary and so hard to do that because sometimes you get in such that comfortability of it all and realizing the second you get comfortable is the second that you are 20 steps behind everybody else. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And I, I definitely feel like I had this mindset of, oh, I'm only going to have to hustle for like while I'm young and then I'm going to be able to relax and just like bask in, you know, everything that I've worked for. And it's, I mean, yes, there are certain jobs that I think that is true for, but it's not this one. It's definitely not this one. I don't think it's anywhere that you're, that you have a business and own a business because everything is constantly changing. And if you are not changing with the times, then you're behind and you eventually become a relic. So, um, it's, it's a lot, you know, you have to love it to, you have to really, really love it. You have to marry writing and be in this long-term committed relationship that for better or worse through thick and thin, you are going to do this. Um, and if you can truly commit to that, you can make it through anything. You just have to be willing to adapt. You cannot get rigid. You have to be like a little flowing river and just go with wherever it takes you, you know? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's so, so amazing that you, I, I, I'm trying to explain, like trying to figure out how to explain this, but I think it's so interesting about entrepreneurs, especially ones like being an author is a perfect example because you love writing, right? But that's not what you, that's not all you are. You're not just an author. You're a business person that is having to sell the book, do the ads, do everything else. What's something that was the hardest to learn and also something that you kind of either liked more than you expected or disliked more than you expected once becoming your own business person with being an author? 
You know, I floundered through being a business owner for the first few years. I really did. I just, in fact, I still flounder with it because I am a, I am like 70% a creative person, 30% a business minded person Mm -hmm. in my dream world. I would be a traditionally published author where everybody else would take care of the business side for me. And all I would be expected to do is write. That Mm -hmm. would be like the dream, but because I'm also a control freak and I really care about like what my covers look like and what my marketing is and what my brand is, it's, I slowly started to realize like, I'm more of a business person than I, than I think, because I want, I want all these things. So because I wanted to have control of my branding and everything, I had to take control of business in every aspect. And for me, the hardest part of that was the financial structure. Like you know, forming an LLC, making sure I did my taxes correctly, making sure I was writing down everything I was spending for my business, having separate checking accounts and separate business accounts for my business. It was all these things that I had to navigate. And I did not go to school for entrepreneurship or business or anything even close to that. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I had to just sort of like, Google my way through it and figure it out. And of course, I was very fortunate to have some colleagues in the industry who took me under their wing and sort of walked me through things, which is part of what I love about the romance community is just, you know, it's primarily women. And we definitely have that mindset of like, we are going to help each other and support each other, um, which is a beautiful thing. But yeah, Yeah. I definitely hated, hated that part of it. Um, And What I've really come to find though, is that I love, I love working for myself. And I love that when I wake up every morning, my job is to write or to market my books or to, you know, be on a podcast with somebody talking about what I do. And, and to, to me, that is worth all of the struggle that I go through on the business side of trying to figure out ads and trying to figure out why, you know, this book isn't doing well or what I can do better with it. That's all worth it to be able to still do what I love every day. And so I will take the struggle and the pain and the mess with the joy that is so hard earned through all of it. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, I did. It's, I've always thought it was so fascinating how difficult it is to start a business and how difficult it it is is to make sure you're doing it right. Because there's so many repercussions if you do it wrong, but there's nothing that tells you how to do it right correctly easily. And it's like, I remember when I started Unorganized and Lost, because at first I was like, okay, I'm just going to make it. I could not figure out what I wanted out of it. But my biggest thing was I really wanted to help people understand that they could, they could do it because it started with travel. So many people were like, I can't believe you did that. I could never. And I'm like, if you saw how I traveled, I promise you, (laughs) you can do it. Yes. (laughs) I was like, I was so unorganized and lost. And so that's where the concept began. And then it was like, okay, maybe I can sell clothing because people like it. And it was so insane trying to start my business in the beginning because trying to create a site, trying to get your fictitious business name, which who the hell knows what that means. And then it's like, do I want to be an LLC? Do I want to be all the different options? And I was a business major and this still was complicated for me. So I find it so crazy that there's not like a one-stop shop, which I've pondered starting a business doing that. I don't want to be legally responsible if I did it wrong. And I'm like, I don't know if I I can start that business for somebody. (laughs) Yes, that's a hugely, it would be great. But yeah, I mean, and even things that you Google are confusing and filled with jargon. And it's just, it's, and it's, it's tough forever to navigate. changing somehow. <laughs> yes. 
But I really love that you, that, you know, that was your focus of being sort of unorganized and lost, but still going after what you want and doing what you want. Because I think there's so many people who wait or, or think they're waiting for like this perfect storm to happen. Like, Oh, if I, if I get enough money, then I'll be ready. Or if I get to this point, I'll be ready. If I get the safety net, I'll be ready. But the truth is just like they say, you're never ready for kids. You are never ready to chase whatever it is that you're wanting right now. You're never ready for it. The difference between people who achieve it and people who don't is the ones who achieve it took the risk and took the first step. And they just, that's all it is. One step at a time, you take a step forward and you say, well, this is new and scary. Okay. What do I need to figure out here? You figure that out. You master that level and you take another step and then you're scared again. And it just absolutely repeats. Um, That's like people that always say they would travel if they had a buddy. And the thing I learned from a very young age is no one will ever be ready to go the same time you are. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There's exceptions to every rule. There's You're going to find someone who's going to be good at travel or going to want to travel with you. But sometimes you just happen to be in between jobs and still living at home. Or there's just, you have the perfect storm enough to get you to go then. And if you don't go then, you're not going to do it. And yep. it's like, just do it. Like there's really, there's not much other to it. It's like, if you're too scared to travel alone, there are so many tour groups where you can meet the most incredible people and it's, I don't know, you just kind of go and then hopefully you don't get lost. Like I have. (laughs) There's also a really a a sense of, it's just so different when you travel by yourself, you don't have to ask anybody what they want to do or make decisions based on what you think they want to do or anything. It's just you wandering around figuring it out and like navigating really uncomfortable social positions by yourself. You yeah. do for sure. Because when for you have sure, a but buddy, I, you don't meet people. Cause it's like, oh, we have each other. Why do I need to meet people? But when you're by yourself, like you're kind of forced to be like, well, we're going to be friends now. Cause I need a buddy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love that. Um, yeah. and I really love too, that you're, you know, using your voice to sort of help other people realize that. I think that's so important for all of us. I, I have, hate is a strong word. I don't think I hate anybody or anything, but I have a very big distaste for anybody who figures it out, whatever it is, gets to a higher level in whatever their dream or passion is, and then locks up everything that got them there. Like, I can't tell anybody because I don't want to share anything about this with anybody else. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't feel humanitarian to me. And it, it drives me insane. And there, there are definitely people like that in my industry Um, and it's, it, it makes me sad and it makes me wonder who hurt them. (laughs) But, um, I know for me, when I was coming up, I was so thankful, you know, there were certain authors who just really did not have to answer my stupid questions. They did not have to give me the guidance that they did, but they did because they were like, I see that you're trying to make this work. Let me help you in whatever way I can. Like Stacey Hart was huge for that. Jillian Dodd was huge for that. I could list so many people who really just like stuck out their hand for me. And I do the same thing whenever I can. I, I have helped so many writers. It doesn't matter to me how big you are. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first book, your fifth book, your 10th book. If, if you ask me a question and I have some sort of guidance that I think might help you, I'm willing to take 10 minutes out of my day to send you a voice note or send you an email and say, Hey, here's some things that might help you and whatever, whatever. It's 10 minutes of my day, but to yeah. somebody who is trying to navigate something that they've never ever touched or seen before it's huge it's life-changing it can be the difference between a closed door and an open one so I really love that you're that you're you know help you're using your knowledge and you're helping other people and I think that that at the end of the day is what we all should be doing well thank you I appreciate that 
Um, what piece of advice do you have for people when they go to reach out? Because I think one of the biggest issues is a lot of people say that people aren't going about it the right way, or they're asking questions they shouldn't, or, um, they're just doing it inappropriately or kind of nonchalantly. Cause I've had people and I'm not gatekeeping in any way, but when people ask me like, Oh, how do you build a podcast? It's like, at least listen to it and see if you like it. Cause you might not even want my advice. I'm like, just do me a favor. Listen to at least five minutes of an episode or two minutes of an episode just to see if it's even something that you're interested in because I may not be the person to ask. If it's something you can Google too, like that's infuriating to anybody. I think like if, if someone like comes to me and it's like, how do you, um, like, how do you do the whole self-publishing thing? I'm like, okay, well, that's a very wide thing that tells me that you, you have not thought about this at all. You're at the, you probably had an idea for a book and you were like, Oh, I can totally write this book and make millions of dollars. So I'm just going to email my friend Candy, who I know writes, and she'll just give me all the secrets to do that. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So to that, I'm always like, you know, you need to do a lot of research. Here's my top three questions for you. You need to decide if you want to be indie or traditional, you need to research the difference between them. Then you need to decide if you're traditional, are you going to query an agent or are you going to write your book first and then query? And if you're independent, are you going to be wide or Kindle unlimited? And then from there you can work on your book and you have to write your book before I'm going to answer any other questions. Once you have a full manuscript, you can come to me with your other questions. Because to me, if you have written a book that shows me you're serious, because there is, in my opinion, nothing harder in this world than finishing a book. It is excruciating. There's so many times that you're going to want to quit. There's writer's block. There's days that you feel like you can't do it. There's imposter syndrome. It's like all these things. So if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I wrote this book and I've done some research and I, I definitely want to publish it in Kindle Unlimited, but I'm just a little confused about, you know, what's my next step here. Then I'm a hundred percent going to be there to help you. But I totally agree with you in the sense that like, if I can tell that you're just like, you know, you, you want to take up my time and you want me to like hand you the golden key to success without putting in any work, like that's not going to happen. Yes. I love that. Cause I think, I think that's huge for people to understand. There's a difference between getting advice and getting Googleable information from somebody because yes. there's, there's actually a site my brother sent me forever ago that says, um, let me Google it for you. And you literally go to the site type in their question and then send them the link. And it literally pops up, types in their question into what looks like Google. And then it pops up with the Google answers. It's the funniest, funniest link you could probably ever send someone because it basically is I'm like, saving that. yes, I will. I'll send it to you. Cause it's the funniest thing ever because the way it dramatically opens up and types in the question and literally pushes enter and sends it to Google. So it's helpful, but it's just like a, Hey, fun fact, could have Googled it. You could Google this. Yes. Right. (laughs) Google exists for a reason. So you talked about this a little bit. So I feel like this is a great, great time to ask this. How do you focus when you need to write for a while? Like how, when you're not in the mode where you're like, I'm so excited. Like, how do you focus when you're not? Oh man, my writing process has changed so much over the years. You know, I, like I said, I used to write after work with whatever steam I had left. And I am very fortunate now that I don't have to do that. And I also will say, I don't know that I could do that now. I really don't. I was young and very ambitious and just thirsty for this dream that I had. Mm -hmm. And now that it is, you know, my day to day, there are a lot more tougher days where I have to, I have to 
prioritize writing. That's the only, that's the only way to get it done is I, it has to be my number one priority because it's so easy for me to get swept up in marketing, in social media and going through my emails and whatever else comes along with being a business owner. And I did not have all this before, before oh, my yeah. only job was to write. So in the morning when I wake up, the I have like a big morning routine that I go through. And so usually I get up, I make my coffee and while my coffee is brewing, I will go meditate. And then I pour my coffee, I come into my office and I do a little bit of like journaling and planning out my day. And I always go through my day, like what's the most important thing for me? And almost always it's writing, right? I'm like, okay, I need to write this chapter or these two chapters. So that's gonna be the first thing I do. And when I'm done with my, my planner and I've kind of bulleted out what I need to do for the day, then I sit down and I write first thing when I'm fresh, when it's early, the coffee's going, I'm feeling good. I'm not feeling distracted because if I do all my journaling and then push that aside and then open up Instagram, my day has just gone to shit. Like there's just yeah. no way around it. Now I'm being pulled and distracted. I'm answering messages from readers. I'm engaging with people who've tagged me in posts. I'm thinking, oh God, what am I going to post today? And then I'm, you know, thinking about, oh, I need to go post on TikTok. Oh, I should probably go into my Facebook group and make sure whatever. Yeah. And I think there's this pressure to be on all the time, but social media is always going to be there. And what I have learned over the time is that Instagram does not the, the world of Instagram does not stop spinning if I don't post for a day or I don't answer a, a direct message for a few hours. So yeah. I will sit there and do my writing and I, I have to, you know, I will light a candle. I'll put on brain FM, which anybody who does any sort of like focused work, I highly recommend brain FM. It is amazing. And it's basically just like lo-fi, but it, um, you know, it's, it, it just helps my brain focus and I, it might be a slow start. I might get in and be kind of like, oh, this is kind of tough or like I'm writing something that is difficult. But then by the time my my brain FM kicks in, it's like I get kind of lost in it and swept up in it. And before I know, you know, it's noon, but I've hit my writing goal. And now I have the next four hours or five hours or six hours, however long I'm working that evening to work on those other things that feel so important and so pressing but I would not have been as happy if at the end of the day, I did a ton of social media work and sent newsletters and did all that, but I didn't write, I would feel like crap. But if I wrote and did nothing else, I would feel amazing. So I have to always remember like, that's the priority. That's the number one goal. That's what's going to push me farther in what I want. So that's going to get my attention first. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So while you're explaining that, I thought of like so many random questions. One of them, do you write or type your books? I, I type. Okay. Cause I know some people like, I think you could do it like on an iPad where you can like write it and then it would transfer it into typing. But anyways, um, and then do you write one book at a time? Like, is it like you're just on one book? It's not like you're all over the place. I write one book at a time. I have tried writing two at a time and it does not work for me. It just messes me up. I have to be one at a time for sure. Do you, okay. So then do you start with like an overall, okay. I know this is kind of how I want the book to play out. Like this is kind of the middle start, middle and end, or do you just kind of start writing? I used to be the kind that would just start writing. I would have like maybe a couple of scenes of dialogue in mind and then I would just piece them together. Uh -huh. But now as I've grown in my writing, I'm very structured. So the first thing I do is a really deep character, deep dive. 
So I will know everything about my character, what their background is, what their trauma is, why they are the way they are, what they want in life, what they're willing to do to get that, what Enneagram number they are, what horoscope they are, what their favorite, like everything about, I want them to feel like not a two dimensional thing on paper, but a three dimensional person that I am friends with and know everything about. Interesting. What Enneagram are you? We got really into that recently. I am too. Yay, seven tonight. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I know. It's no hysterical. wonder we were geeking out over travel. Like, right? that totally makes sense. <laughs> um, my cousin brought so. it out one time years ago, and she's like, hey, like, look, there's, there's these anagram things. Like, you should see which one you are. And she goes, you're a seven. And she's, as I'm like, yeah. I haven't even finished, like, starting the first one. And she's like, you're, you're a seven. And I'm like, oh, come on, let me just read them. I don't think, and then we get to seven, and she's reading everything and I'm like mm, yeah that that kind of sums yes, up yes I'm a seven <laughs> yes I oh love God, Enneagram so I love funny. Enneagram and I think I love Enneagram more than any of the other personality traits because so many of those personality tests they tell you like here's all the reasons why you're a beautiful butterfly and everybody should love you yeah but Enneagram is like here's some of your strong points but let's talk about everything you do that maybe annoys other people or keeps <laughs> you from your goals and like you know like it's real Absolutely. it's so real like it cuts you deep you're like ow <laughs> it does it cuts you deep it talks about your childhood trauma like when I read like what a seven's childhood trauma was I was like fuck me I'm not okay I'm not I don't okay. think I got I to that part seen. I'm gonna have to go back to oh. the channel I feel like I did I don't know Maybe I yeah, did have I'm gonna send it. I'll send it, it to but... you. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Um, I guess it's more like it's. They don't call it childhood trauma. They call it like your inner child. But it's basically the feelings that you developed as you were a kid that carried with you into adulthood. So. Oh yeah, will... that's yep. That probably adds up. That was that's probably correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, I so I build out the characters, and usually while I'm building the characters, the story really comes to life because once you figure out like what has shaped a person, what has been like hard for them, what, what has built up their trust issues, right? You can sort of see why they might not get along with somebody or why they might be attracted to somebody. Um, and then I almost always like my first initial ideas for books are like, lit, I'll see a scene or a dialogue or something that really stands out to me. And I'll scribble it in my notes on my phone, like book idea, you know, girl decides to put in her dating profile that she has season tickets to, you know, her favorite NFL team. And then it's like, I'm going to go on dates with a bunch of different guys, but not have anything serious. That was literally how the idea for the wrong game started. That's and amazing. Then I literally there, was trying to figure out how I could deeper. do that. I'm like, we don't really have many like great <laughs> sporting events that I could try to convince someone. to. And I don't like, I love basketball, but I don't know if I'd want to go to every game football. I could probably do. I really like hockey. Yes. I feel like that could be fun, but it's too far away. So I'm like, hmm, I need oh, to find a new man. a new ticket thing I can do this for because I feel like that hockey could be fun. would be a great one. Hockey would be a great, and you don't even have to go to every game. You can just be like, I've got tickets this Friday. Who's coming? So. That's true. <laughs> like, yeah, that is true. But granted, it's like attention. we don't really have a hockey team that's more than like an hour and a half or two hours away, so that's not really helpful. Fair. I'm Fair. too lazy for that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I'm like, once I've got all that together, then I, then I do an outline. So I, it's not always a hundred percent. Like there's definitely, when I start writing, I usually have a couple of gaps that I'm like, okay, I'll fill that in as I go. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I kind of sketch out like the first like 10 chapters or so and kind of know where I'm going. And I might know, like, here's what I know the fight's going to be. This is going to be the big conflict or whatever. And this is how it's going to wrap up. And here's where I'm going to take them in the end. But I just sort of had to fill in some of that middle part because that again, that, the middle parts where really like the human side of everything comes out, like every mm -hmm. one of my 
couples has like things that are theirs, right? Like in close quarters, um, Aspen is a huge photographer and that's like her thing, right? That's her thing. And so she's constantly hiding behind the lens of her camera. And like, so that's, that's, there's a lot of room to write her experience there. Um, whereas that's completely different from Gemma, who is like, you know, this type a like tight ass who like needs to have her list and have her things in order and, you know, feels best when she's completing things and doing things for other people and whatever. So, um, yeah, I loved, I loved it. In the, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I loved in the, um, wrong game when you switch between the two characters of like with her thoughts, cause you're yes. just like, you feel like you're so enveloped in it and you're just like, why don't you get it? And I'm like, I'm like, yes. oh my gosh, this needs to be a movie. I literally was talking to Lauren about this the other day. I'm like, can this please be a movie already? Like, I don't know right. who I need to talk to, uh, like what director I, I need to give this to, but it needs to happen. I know I'm saying like, I just want to go to LA and start shoving that book in like random mailboxes and just hope that by chance somebody picks it up and goes, wow, we can make a movie out of this. I, I will, I will be part of it. I will start sending it to okay, people great. because I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be a movie because it is so good. Come on. We need Reese to pick it up. Reese Witherspoon, if you're listening, you should totally read the, the wrong game. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know how to get in contact with her, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> Okay. So what, I guess we're going to do this. Which book, um, would you want to see a movie become a movie first? If I, cause I'm just manifesting first, that it's going to be a movie, all of them. <laughs> yes. I love that. If I could pick first, I think I would say a love liar to whiskey just because it is like my, my creme de la creme. It's like my biggest, most well-known book, my biggest seller. Um, and it is very angsty and I don't think there's any other like movies like it out there. The closest thing that I can think of is Love Rosie. So if you've watched Love Rosie, it's um, got a similar vibe in the sense that like it's, you know, the right person, but always the wrong timing. You know, okay. they start out in high, high school and he is dating her best friend and then they go to college and she's dating his roommate. And then there's finally maybe going to be a time that they can be together, but then they're living in different cities. And then finally they're going to be together, but he's getting married. And then like, I mean, it's just, I can already feel the angst. I couldn't decide between that one and um, wait list on which one I was going to read next. So now I'm like, dang, I'm going to get that one next. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love that. Okay. So we're manifesting your, your books becoming movies. And um, what's something most people don't know about being an author or a writer? I guess, I guess what most people don't know, especially, I'm going to, if I'm talking about today, I think there is this glorified, beautiful version of being an independent writer online. So TikTok and Instagram, it's all these really successful people who are posting like, look, I had 500 orders for signed books on my website, or look, I hit Amazon's top 20. Yay me. And it's, it looks on the outside, like all of that is super achievable to anybody. And I just think that is setting people up to fail. Like you have to Mm. be a very particular type of person to come into this. And the biggest thing is you have to be thirsty as fuck. You have to be the kind of person that even on the days that you're depressed and don't want to get out of bed and everything sucks. And you like, you cannot even fathom going outside for a walk, let alone doing any work. 
you still have to peel yourself out of bed and get it done. You've got to show up for things when it, when it sucks and when it's hard and you have to not only write, which is a very solitary thing, but you have to be good in public. You have to have a brand. You've got to represent yourself on every social media platform there is. There's so much that goes into it. And I've had so many, you know, young writers, and I don't mean young age-wise, just young experience-wise, mm-hmm. who publish a book and then are devastated that their first book that they published didn't hit Amazon Top 100. And they're like flabbergasted that they sold 10 copies in the first week and that's it. And I'm like, this is that's realistic. That is realistically what you're coming into. It's an oversaturated market. It's very competitive. And you are fighting not only against other people who are independently publishing, but also against big traditional publishing houses that have a lot more ammo in their guns than you do. So don't ever come into being an author because you think it's going to make you money or you think that it's going to be some comfortable way to live a lavish lifestyle. Come into writing. If there is no other option in your life, but to write, if you feel in your soul, I have so many stories to tell, And I won't feel good until I get them out. Or if you've always been a writer and you're just like, you know what? I love to write. This is part of who I am and I want to do it. Or you've never been a writer, but suddenly you want to write books, but you have no intention of ever making a dime. You just want to write these books because it makes you happy to write these books. That's what you should get into writing for, in my opinion, because the second you get into it in the business mindset, thinking like, I'm going to do this for money, you have suffocated your creativity with financial pressure and you will never come out from underneath that. And in my opinion, it will just become another job that you hate to do. That's really got a lot of things that are required of you that are not fun and that steal your energy every day. You've got to love it if you want to do it. There's That's just the only option. Absolutely. And I think what's actually really interesting about that point is um, I never realized that I thought I had this dream. Well, okay, let's back up. I loved creating videos. I was a video creator. I loved, I loved the idea of sharing memories. That was what I loved about it. Cause I used to be a scrapbook nerd and yes. that got expensive. And so I got into video and realized that's way more expensive. Cause I buy a drone and a camera and like, you know, it's so ridiculous how I thought it was going to be cheaper than paper, but here we are. And so I got into video and I loved it so much because I got to tell either my stories or other people's stories in such a way that was so fun and so cool. And I tried to be as real as possible where it wasn't trying to fake a scenario that wasn't there. I tried to make sure any video I take is authentic and in the moment, not staged. And so growing up with brothers and I think guy cousins really helped that because there was no staging them. Like there was never like, Hey guys, really quick, let's get a cool video. They're like, stop it, go away. And so for me, um, I really fell in love with video. Well, then I actually had the opportunity to do it full time and I was doing it with CBS and max preps for almost 10 years on and off, maybe more. And I realized the older I got that it was more of a hobby than a dream to do for money because I lost all the creativity and all the fun because I could not do it for somebody else. It was such an interesting concept trying to create a video with someone else's vision because the creativity is gone when you're trying to create their vision. I assume the same thing would happen to you with writing and being able to write your own stories is a completely different scenario than working for somebody full time and writing their message. Absolutely. 100%. I think that's huge also is trying to figure out what, what about it you love, I think is a 
big thing people need to understand because sometimes it's your own yes. voice and your own message. Sometimes you just like to write and you don't want to have to yep. think of the idea and someone giving you that idea is everything you need. And so, um, I think that's a huge, huge thing for people to realize is what you actually love about it. Just like I actually did a podcast on jealousy. And like, when you say you're jealous of someone, figure out what you're actually jealous of. Like if someone says they're jealous of you because you're an international best-selling author, it's like, okay, are you jealous of me because I'm working for myself? Are you jealous of me because I'm making money and this is what I'm doing full-time? Or are you jealous that I have that title? Cause sometimes people just want a title, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's a really interesting concept. To that be is able a, to teach I, re I really love that. And I, I think it's really difficult to not compare ourselves against each other, but it is such a thief of joy because you just, you could be living a completely happy, like satisfied life. If you weren't on Instagram scrolling, going, Oh my God, I want what they have. And you don't even know what they have. Like, you don't know what's behind that shiny picture of that person with that award or whatever. So Absolutely. I really love that. Like asking yourself what it is that you want that they have. And then, you know, sort of recentering it back to you and taking the focus off of them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I feel like I've stolen so much of your time. Is there anything <laughs> else that you want to share or is there any upcoming books that you're already working on or yeah. How was your book tour? Actually, I want to ask you that. How was your book tour for, um, for the fair catch? Well, so I, I don't, I don't do book tours or what I do is I do book signings and, um, okay. they've been kind of off the table, uh, ever since COVID, but the first one just happened in Nashville and it was right before I published fair catch. And it was amazing. It was so great to get to see readers again and get to reconnect with some of my author friends and I also love to travel. So of course, like going to a city I don't live in is always a good time. Um, so I had a blast, but um, I guess, you know, what I would want to leave your listeners with is, you know, obviously if you're an aspiring writer or you've ever thought about it, I hope you've learned something and I hope that you feel inspired and feel like you can do it regardless of how, you know, tough and overwhelming the journey seems ahead of you, you can do it. You just have to take it one step at a time. Um, and if you're a reader or just a listener and you're kind of curious about what I write, then I would love you to pick up one of my books. My most recent one is fair catch, but I have a lot of other books. I've got something for everyone. So if you go to candysteiner.com and then go to books, you can check out everything that I have, read the synopsis, see what strikes you. And you can read them in ebook in paperback. Some of them are in hardcover. Almost all of them are in audiobook. So however you like to digest your content, I'm here for you. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Yes. I will make sure to link your site in the show notes too. So people can find you even easier because you need to pick up one of these books. I've already powered through one and I'm so excited about the second. I have a feeling my entire bookshelf is just going to be candy now. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I well, love thank it. you so much for doing this with me. This has been so much fun, Michelle. Thanks for what you're doing and, and having such a great podcast. It's always a pleasure to listen. And it was even more of a pleasure to be on and chat with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Well, we are here to prove you don't always have to be organized to follow your dreams and getting lost isn't always a bad thing. Tell it is. <laughs> That's how it is. <laughs> well, thank you.